How are we doing? We are continuing with Acts, and believe it or not, this is a Christmas sermon. Now, uh, you might not think it's a Christmas sermon as we get into it and as we move along, but stick with me till the end, and we'll see if I tie this together in such a way that uh, makes a little bit of sense for us. So, uh, for the last several weeks now, we've been looking at Paul, a prisoner. We were finishing Acts chapter 27. He was shipwrecked on the island of Malta, uh, the island Malta, and there he continues his work. He is a prisoner who also acts like a priest. He does the work of the priest, and most recently on this island, he does the priestly work of healing people who in turn are so overjoyed that they give gifts to support him and those with him to continue on their journey to Rome. And uh, when people bless the godly, oftentimes they receive more than they end up giving, and as Paul and company made their way toward Rome, uh, the church hears that this beloved apostle is coming that way. So some of them take to the road and they hike for miles and miles down to different towns that Paul would likely pass through along the way searching for him. And so we kind of ended in Acts chapter 28 verse 15 where it says, the brothers there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. And at the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. So I asked the question, why is this the time that Paul was encouraged? It says uh, that it says uh, at the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Somehow the reality of the promise that Jesus had made to him that he will go and be a witness in Rome Emotionally, spiritually, that event comes to a climax and it receives its fulfillment when Paul recognizes the church that's coming to look for him, the church that's serving as priests to him. And so I said, proof of the promise that Jesus made to him didn't come with the protection of God. Remember, Paul's been protected through a storm, through a snake bite, all of these things. Didn't come with the power of God these healings, that the, the, this word that comes true. It didn't even come with the place. He hadn't even physically arrived in Rome yet. The power or the proof of the promise, it actually came with the people of God when Paul sees these people. And I think there's a lesson for us in that as well. Paul is a prisoner who acts like a priest, and in the end, the church in Rome goes out searching for Paul and become a priest to him, become an encouragement to him, become the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus to Paul. And the people of God are proof of the promise, and Paul, that Paul will testify in Rome. And as a church today, we have a priestly duty to do what the Roman church did, to encourage, to pray for each other's needs, to search for when we become lost. Uh, it says that people will know we are Christians by our, by our love. And the quality of our love 
becomes the proof of the promise of Jesus alive in our midst. Because if we don't have that, what are we clinging to? And the irony of, the day, of our day is that we live in a world that tries to convince us, you know what, you Christians, you're prisoners. You're slaves. And they're absolutely right. But we're not prisoners to the things they think we're prisoners to, and we're not slaves to the things they think we're slaves to. They think we're prisoners of dusty old rituals, prisoners of lists, of impossible rules, prisoners of our own small-mindedness, prisoners of our legalism, archaic sexual morals, prisoners to our own intolerance, prisoners to our own hypocrisy. That's not the way that we're prisoners, though. And I suggested, you know, instead of wasting your time trying to convince people that you're not a prisoner, just go be a priest. Be a priest to those around you. Be a priest in the situations you find yourselves in. And so we pick up in Acts chapter 28, verse 16. And we find that Paul, a prisoner, continues to be afforded special privileges that actually facilitate his priestly role, facilitate his evangelism and his ministry. So let's pick up, if you have a Bible, Acts 28, verse 16. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So Paul is given this privilege of his own rented house, and is only assigned one soldier instead of typical. They would have the Roman guard would usually give two soldiers. Uh, so it kind of speaks that you know they don't believe Paul is a flight risk. He's not a dangerous kind of criminal person. So now that Paul is in Rome, what is the first thing that he wants to do? What is his priority, and what does he want? It's kind of interesting. When three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. This is the priority for Paul. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and to talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So Jesus is the hope of Israel that Paul has come to share. Jesus is the hope of the world he is in Rome to be a witness, and he continues uh, this pattern of to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And in the same way for us, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the hope of the church, so we have to share. Jesus is the hope of anything we do here at the Eugene Church of Christ. He is the hope of your family. Your family's broken. You need to look to your hope, Jesus Christ, and we have to share. We have to share. We share in this community. We share with each other. We share with our family, even those family members who don't want to listen, who are resistant. Keep, keep at it. Don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. Keep putting in a word of hope 
a word of faith in Jesus. So it says, they replied, we have not received any letter from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. So uh, they hadn't got any kind of information from Judea yet on this situation. Uh, So Paul preemptively kind of opens up this opportunity with them you know, we saw the hardship of uh, Paul's journey uh, to get to Rome, and it's not surprising that letters or the courier system of that time had not, there hadn't been concrete information about Paul arrive in Rome yet at this time. So they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. So Paul has this opportunity, and from the, this place of privilege in his own rented home, he's able to entertain people, and people come, and these Jewish leaders come, and now even in larger numbers. And this is what he shares. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some of them were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. So even as a prisoner, Paul continues his pattern of going to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And even though the Jewish response to the gospel of Jesus Christ is typically pretty lackluster, It's not an overwhelming enthusiasm like a lot of Gentiles show. It is worthwhile that Paul does this still, because even though there are plenty who don't believe, there are some who are convinced. And these some can do great things for the Lord and the Lord's church. But take note what Paul is explaining and declaring to them. What is it? This message of the kingdom of God. All right, tuck that away a little bit, because that's so crucial for our understanding of what Luke is trying to do in Acts. So it says, they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. I would heal them. These would have been words that would have been familiar to all of these Jewish people. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. They will listen. And you and I have the same responsibility which Paul is discharging to these Jews and to all who will come and see him at his house. You know... uh, 
we proclaim the gospel. And sometimes we get to do it to people who are hungry to hear the word. It's, it's like the Spirit has just set up circumstances and boom, 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 things happen and people turn to the Lord. And you're like, how did this happen? How did... But a lot of times we are called to places where people don't want to listen, where people are not receptive, where people are not hungry to hear a word about Jesus or the hope that we have in Christ. But we're called to still be his witness. We are called to share Jesus with those who are stubborn, with those who are difficult, with those who are resistant, as well as those who are ready and hungry for righteousness. We proclaim the gospel to everyone because the gospel is for everyone. So figuring out the fruitfulness of our efforts, you know, we're always going to be trying to refine our strategy and come up with better ways of doing things and better plans. And we're going to be doing a reboot as a congregation this next year because I think that the Lord has been at work in the craziness of this year to prepare us for what he wants to, us to be doing this next year. And I think there's going to be a major transition for us. And uh, I'm building all of what I'm going to be doing with our teaching in that hope that the Lord will want to take us and use us for special work this next year. So figuring out the fruitfulness of these efforts, you know, the fruit in the end, it belongs to God, and He is the one who both gives it, produces it, sustains it, and we get to be a part of what He's doing, and that's our joy. Well, Acts ends then with just a couple couple more verses, chapter 28, 30, and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So once again, we have this phrase, preaching about the kingdom of God. So Acts, it just kind of ends abruptly here. And it's interesting because it feels like we had been building toward certain questions that we would like to have answered that suddenly are cut off, and they aren't, Luke makes no effort whatsoever to answer any of these questions. He leaves us hanging, so to speak. What happened to Paul? What happened to Paul? What happened to this trial before Caesar? What was the Emperor Nero's response to hearing Paul speak? What happened with these charges that were made against Paul? That's not Luke's concern, which tells us certain things. And it's very interesting. I think we're going to try to go back and we're going to look, because history tells us some, some stories. Uh, Clement, church historian Eusebius, about what happened to Paul in the what's next. And we might look at some of that. That would be kind of fun. But Acts just abruptly ends, and we're kind of left there hanging, because it's not Luke's interest to tie off this story in a nice bow with a nice little phrase, and they lived happily ever after. Because really the story of Acts is a story that has not ended yet. 
It's a story that has kept going. It's a story that is alive today, even in this merry little gathering in this church building and in this parking lot. This is a story that is still going on. Luke doesn't end his story because the story of what Jesus continues to do in hearts and lives, it doesn't stop. It doesn't end. The story of Luke is mo- that Luke is most interested in telling is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise and Jesus' words. Remember all the way back from Acts chapter 1. This is chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Paul is now arriving at the ends of the earth, which is also the center, which is also a new beginning. But the book of Acts, you know, it ends the same way that it began. How did the book of Acts begin? This is Acts 1, 1 through 3. In my former book, Theophilus, which means lover of God, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have Acts 1-3, this message spoken about the kingdom of God, and in Acts 28-30-31, Paul again is preaching about the kingdom of God. So Luke presents the kingdom of God as the bookends to this Acts history, these stories of the church. The kingdom of God is there at the beginning. The kingdom of God is the end. The kingdom of God that is initiated by Jesus Christ, it is the destiny that changes lives. A story that continues. Kind of think about it this way. This kingdom of God language, in a literary sense, Luke has created maybe bookends, maybe it's a bowl to hold all of this treasure of lives that are transformed by the power of the Spirit. See, it is this mysterious triumph of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. See, there's this movement, Paul, there's this movement from, from even before Paul, these fishermen apostles, these fishermen who become apostles, they move from the outskirts of the fringes of this empire 
to now in Acts, they've moved to the very heart of it, to the center, to standing before Caesar. There's been a movement from Jews to Gentiles. And this, the major movement, though, that we see in Acts is from this faith in Christ that is outside and other to us to become something that people begin to trust and have faith in. As the Holy Spirit moves faith in Jesus Christ from the outside of people into the heart, into their very souls, into their depth. That is the movement that we see. So it's, it's this movement from that's not my story to this is my story to I'm a part of this story to I will give my life for this story. So Paul ends up in the heart of the empire and coincidentally, he's given exactly what he needs to proclaim boldly and without hindrance the message of the kingdom of God. I'm sure that's just a coincidence, right? He shares with anyone who wants to visit him and with time on his hands and the inspiration of the Spirit, the church obviously gave him the means to be able to do this. This is likely the place, this imprisonment of Rome, where he has the time on his hands he needs to do some of his most important letters. Uh, Philemon, likely, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, these prison epistles. It's, very, it's a very real possibility that this is the imprisonment that gave him the time he needs to... You think about the treasure contained in these letters. He is put in this context where he is doing... Uh, the work of the kingdom, and it's amplified. It's not squelched. It's not hindered. It's not squashed. But the book of Acts ends as the book of Acts begins with this word of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so what is this kingdom of God? You know, uh, with me as your preacher, we're going to talk about that a lot. It might take us years to get through a lot of this and unpack a lot of this, but in my mind, this is what it's all about, is us learning how to live in the strength of the kingdom, in the hope of the kingdom, in the power and the resources of the kingdom of God. It's not just pie in the sky by and by. It's stuff that has power now to change our hearts and our lives, to change the physical circumstances around us. But what is this kingdom? Is it a person? Is it a place? Is it an idea? And the answer to that would be yes, yes, yes. Jesus is the doorway to this kingdom. The geography of this kingdom, it's not drawn on a map. It's not tied to a certain land, an area. The geography of this kingdom is human hearts and human lives. The idea of this kingdom is the idea that there is a God in heaven. That this God in heaven, He is good. And in fact, this God in heaven, He's crazy about me. He's crazy in love with me. That is the idea of the kingdom of God. That I can trust 
a God like that with my very life. It's the idea that I can become a better man, that I can live a different kind of life than is typical, that I can become a living sacrifice and I can become like my Lord Jesus Christ. That's the idea of the kingdom of God. So what does Jesus say this kingdom is like? Think about the humility of this kingdom. What does Jesus say this kingdom is like? It's like seeds sown in a field that grow so slowly that we can't even see the changes. It's like yeast mixed through dough. It works slowly, secretly, silently, but it changes everything for the better. It's like treasure that's hidden away in a field where no one even knew it was there and someone just stumbles across it. It's like a tiny mustard seed, something that's almost microscopic that turns into a tree that's great enough that the birds of the air nest in it. In this kingdom, you have to become like a little child in order to enter inside of it. The news that Luke is trying to share in Acts is that the kingdom Jesus spoke of, it wasn't squashed. It didn't end when Jesus was murdered. But the power of this kingdom, it is the power of resurrection. It is the power of hope. It is the power of faith. It is the power of lives that are changed. It is the power of repentance and new beginnings. That's the power of of what Jesus Christ initiates in making this kingdom available to us. He opens the doors wide open. It's not based on your race, your ethnicity, your gender, your good looks or lack thereof, your bank account statements that you have your life in order and there's no messes. This door that Jesus opens, it opens wide to everyone. And all it takes is faith. Even like the faith of a mustard seed. It seems insignificant. And yet it grows and we recognize it becomes the most precious thing, the greatest possibility for human life is for this kingdom to be born in our hearts. That is the story I believe Acts is trying to tell. And it gives us example after example of, after example of this happening. We have spent this year not just in quarantine. We have spent this year looking at these lives in Acts, these lives of very real people who were changed by the power of the kingdom of God at work. And they had faith to believe it. 
and they lived a different kind of life because of it. So just to review, and we're going to move very quickly. It's the power of this kingdom through the Holy Spirit at work in real human lives that turns fishermen into apostles, that turns a Simon into a Peter, a Joseph into a Barnabas, a Saul into a Paul. It is this kingdom at work in lives, the power of this kingdom that takes humble guys who were just servants trying to help the widows out and turns them into miracle workers. Turns Stephen into a witness and a martyr and Philip into an evangelist. It is the story of Acts, the story of the kingdom of God triumphing in human hearts. A Holy Spirit who teaches, encourages, and affirms the infant church people would they would think this church is insignificant this is the church that conquered the world affirmed by miraculous signs and wonders like raising a beloved widow named Dorcas using Peter to raise her from the dead think about the encouragement that would be a holy spirit who claims an outsider Cornelius who is a Gentile and a Roman centurion, along with his household, a Holy Spirit who claims those people as his very own, a Holy Spirit who chooses Saul and Barnabas and sets them aside as missionaries, a Holy Spirit who blesses these missionaries when they're working together and blesses them when they go their separate ways. A Holy Spirit who gives these missionaries the support they need through people like Timothy and Silas, John, Mark, Luke, others. A Holy Spirit who doesn't always bring the people you would expect, but brings the people that are needed. People like Lydia, who is a woman, a dealer in purple cloth, she is also the first European convert to the faith and becomes an example of hospitality that blesses Paul and those with him who blesses the church. It's the Holy Spirit who gives Paul an opportunity to disciple a married couple like Priscilla and Aquila. The Holy Spirit who gives Priscilla and Aquila an opportunity to disciple a guy named Apollos. The Holy Spirit who is alive in a relationship between Paul and the elders of the Ephesian church that came to love that man so much that they weep when he has to leave them. A Holy Spirit who sends Paul to Rome. A Holy Spirit who sends the church in Rome to go search for Paul. This is a church that Paul didn't plant. Christians who search for Paul, they rent a room for Paul, a church who takes care of all of his needs, food, clothing, shelter, parchment paper, or whatever vellum it is, or whatever papyrus to write these letters to other churches. Do you see 
this story, do you see the pattern of transformation? As we look at this, these are the stories of Acts. The quiet, humble work of a Holy Spirit who was alive in very real human situations and circumstances. And my guess is that for us, the Holy Spirit bringing the kingdom of God into your heart and into your life, it's been a very quiet and humble and gentle work. Think about the way God has interacted with you. It's been probably over the course of many years. Like something that can't even see it grow. And then suddenly, where did this come from? Like yeast in dough. Like treasure that you stumble across that over the course of time you realize is the most precious thing and the greatest possibility of human life. See, that is the way our, our God comes to us. That's the humility of our God. And it's seen in the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Humility. See, even Ron said this morning, if we were to think about how we should go and conquer human hearts, white horses or black horses go to the rich and the powerful, And instead, we have a Savior who says, come to me. Take from me. Learn from me. Rest in me. See, the kingdom of God is a kingdom that comes so softly, quietly, and humbly that if you're not paying attention, you can miss it completely. But there are some who can see it. There are some who realize it, that it for the treasure that it is and the possibility that, there is, that it is. That is the humility of our God at work. And think about what we are celebrating this week. To us, a child is born. To us, a son has been given. And we sing songs with words like, let every heart prepare him room. And glory to the newborn king. We celebrate the humble birth of the king of the universe who doesn't come as a typical conquering king, but as a helpless baby. You see, Jesus is not a king who overwhelms by force, by force or by manipulation. He is a king who comes with invitation and with patience as he waits with all the longing of his heart for people to turn to him, to come to him, to spend time with him, to learn of him. Luke acts, Luke writes acts to show us that Jesus 
He's able to do amazing things in ordinary human lives. Ordinary human lives with ordinary circumstances. But these lives don't stay ordinary. They become extraordinary. Extraordinary in trusting God. Extraordinary in faith. Extraordinary in working together with the Holy Spirit to change the world around them. You see, Acts does not have an ending. And Luke writes it that way on purpose. It's because the story of Acts is still going on. It's still going on in our world and in our lives, but the story of Acts, maybe it doesn't have a beginning, but it does, or an ending, but it does have a beginning. It does have a beginning. And the beginning of Acts isn't even in Acts, is it? See, Acts isn't the first thing that Luke wrote. Luke wrote a whole other book before this, a gospel that has his name on it. Luke writes this other story, a story that picks up with the humility of this. A teenage girl, a virgin, who replies to an angel, may it be to me as you have said. That's where this story of humility begins. And after this child is born in the most humble circumstances imaginable, who is celebrated by shepherds, when he's presented in the temple, there is this old prophet named Simeon who was listening to the Holy Spirit. And because he was listening, he was able to recognize the Lord's salvation. He was able to recognize the kingdom of God coming in the humility of a little baby. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Do you see the humility? of how our God comes to us. You see the humility of how He works in our lives. Simeon, who later on says, through this child, the thoughts of many hearts are going to be revealed. And so we celebrate. We celebrate this time of year. I don't know what your traditions are for Christmas and what you do and what songs you sing. Give presents if you have a tree or not. Or... But this is the story of Acts, which is our story, which begins in this place of humility of our God. And we sing songs like this, light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings, mild he lays his glory by. Born that man may no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. 
we gather as a church as we are able to to celebrate that humility a humility that lives in our hearts and maybe we fail at it nine times out of ten but this is our hope and that's the story of Acts it's the story of the kingdom of God and it is the great invitation of the possibility of human life I love you guys and I hope you have a great Christmas and if you're lonely this holiday season there's someone who sees you if your things are heavy there's someone who sees you and is with you if you have loved ones surrounding you and you have much to be thankful for and you have feelings of gratitude and thanksgiving there's someone who deserves your thanks the great possibility and invitation of human life is life in the kingdom of God we need to find ways as a community of faith to step into that reality more and more if you need to put the Lord in on in baptism if you need the prayers of this church there's some way we can help you Ron come on up here we want to be there for you we want to help you we want to bless you and uh, let us know and we'll do that for you I'll be up here in front as we stand and sing together invite you to sing this prayer together. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Lee walking close to thee. Let it 